Hi, this is Ananda, President of the Hare Krishna Community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Okay, so so um, cultivating our creepers. So this is a talk based on some realizations I've had and working in the garden, and it's it's the core concept is from a passage in the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, where there's a very nice description of this uh, devotional uh, seed of devotional service. So that's what we're going to base this discussion on, and then we're going to talk about how I've seen different things in the garden that help me understand some of these verses. So I'll just read through these uh, couple of verses. I won't read the whole passage, uh, but I'll just read a few to set the stage. According to their karma, all living entities are wandering throughout the entire universe. Some of them are being elevated to the upper planetary systems, and some are going down into the lower planetary systems. Out of many millions of wandering living entities, one who is very fortunate gets an opportunity to associate with the bona fide spiritual master by the grace of Krishna. This next sentence is very important. By the mercy of both Krishna and the spiritual master, such a person receives the seed of the creeper of devotion service. So that's what we're going to talk about, that seed and how to nourish it, how to tend it and cultivate it. When a person receives the seed of devotional service, it should take care of becoming, take care of it by becoming a gardener and sowing the seed in the heart. If the waters the seed gradually by the process of shravana, kirtana, shravana and kirtana, hearing and chanting, the seed will begin to sprout. Whoops, I want to, oh yeah, okay. We'll, we'll read another verse later. So, as I mentioned, this is based on uh, just different realizations I've had. I have a hobby of working in a little garden we have in our backyard, and I've, it's a very mystical experience for me. And I've noticed some different dynamics that are very common to uh, working in a garden. If anyone's ever gardened, I'm sure they'll relate to many of these and how it applies to these verses. So the first one is that uh, the seed is essential, right? If you don't have a healthy seed, then you won't have a healthy plant. Now, in the case of the Bhaktilata beads, that seed is, is the highest quality seed you can get. But it all starts with the seeds. And what I find fascinating is seeds contain within them everything they need to grow. They, they understand how to become a mango tree or a carrot or a piece of kale or, or spinach. Whatever it is they're going to grow into, they, they have that within themselves. You don't have to teach them how to become a plant. And in the case of trees, they even contain their own leaves so that the first couple leaves that come up, uh, there's a name for it. I forget what it is. They're like, they're not real leaves, but they, uh, they're already formed. So the plant have, doesn't have to produce any effort. And then they can start photosynthesizing from the sun and create real leaves. So uh, the point is that they're very self-contained. So in the same case uh, with this, uh, the seeds that we have, uh, this uh, Bhakti Lata Bija seed, it's a very high quality seed, comes from the spiritual master, and it contains this 
uh, essence of devotional service. So we don't have to worry about kind of the, the contents of, in terms of quality. We just have to concern ourselves with cultivating the seed. It will do its thing if we cultivate it properly. We don't have to tell it how to do that. We just have to give it the right environment. So I'm going to read a passage here uh, from a purport on this one of these verses, uh, Majalila 19.152. This is uh, in the book. It's one of, just a section of the purport that Srila Prabhupada says, This Bhakti Lata Bij is received from the spiritual master by the grace of Krishna. Other seeds, called Anya Bilasa Bija, so Anya means other, Abilas means desire, other desires, include Karma Bij and Gana Bij. If one is not fortunate enough to receive the Bhakti Lata Bij from the spiritual master, he instead cultivates such seeds as Karma Bij, Gana Bij, or political, social, philanthropic Bijas. However, the Bhakti Lata Bij is different from these other Bijas. The Bhakti Lata Bij can be received only through the mercy of the spiritual master. Therefore, one has to satisfy the spiritual master to get the Bhakti Lata Bij. Yasya Prasada Bhagavat Prasada. The Bhakti Lata Bij is the origin of devotional service. So that phrase, Yasya Prasad, Bhagavat Prasada, many are probably familiar, we sing that every morning from Mangalarti. Nothing, by the mercy of the spiritual master, one can attain anything. Without the spiritual master, nothing can be obtained. So it's a very precious seed. And the main point here is that there are other seeds, and we don't want to cultivate those. We don't want those in our garden. We don't want weed seeds. We don't want seeds of plants that don't produce. If you're going to go to the effort of having a garden, you want plants that produce fruits, vegetables, flowers, things that are useful. So, so this is the seed we want to obtain from the spiritual master. And that's what this bhakti lata bija is. So next to the seed, you have without the seed, there's no point to have a garden. But let's assume we have this seed, uh, we have high quality seeds. The next thing is soil. Soil is very important in a garden. Without healthy soil, we can't uh, have healthy plants. And uh, if the soil is good, the plants can actually protect themselves against pests and bugs and different diseases and fungus. They can produce all the right chemicals. If, you're, if your soil is bad, a seed can still grow. You'll see plants growing in clay and rocks and all kinds of deserts and places. Uh, it's not impossible, but it's, it's much more difficult. So the soil, in our, in our uh, analogy here, is the heart. We have to cultivate the heart. We have to give this seed, this bhakti lata bija seed that we obtain from the spiritual master, a healthy place to grow. It needs to be soft and pliable and humble, and we have to be willing and eager to receive instruction. And then we provide a fertile ground for this seed. And then this creeper uh, can grow and flourish. So it's very, very important to give it a good place. The other thing that I find quite fascinating in the garden is the whole root system. That um, yesterday we were transplanting some seedlings and the plant itself was about two or three inches tall. Uh, it's a tiny little seedling. It was for a sunflower. Some of them are maybe six inches tall. And the roots went down about 12 inches. For a tiny little three-inch plant, you have 12 inches of roots. And many times I've noticed this when you plant seedlings, Weeks will go by and there's nothing. There's no sign of life. You think the seed didn't sprout. And then finally, you see a couple of little leaves pop up. 
and you go to transplant it like yesterday and you see all this huge amounts of roots underneath. So all the effort uh, in the beginning, most of the effort from the plants is in laying down the roots. And you see this even after you transplant them. You put it in the ground and you think they die. We have some spinaches that are just sitting there. The green leaves have been the same size for months. But then as, as the roots get established, then they just explode. And within a few days or a week, the plant triples in size. So, uh, so the point is the roots are very, very important. That's what provides the life. That's where they get the nutrients. And so for plants, you're, you're really feeding the roots. You're really attending the roots. And for some plants, the roots is the whole thing, right? If you have a carrot or a beet or radishes or potatoes, many plants, the, the part that's most important is the root. So, so roots are very, very crucial in gardening. You have to take care of the roots because that's the, the life force of the plant. So in our creeper analogy, uh, the roots is knowledge. We have to have very, very strong knowledge. We have to very, our roots have to go very deep. As they say, sometimes we get bewildered because uh, bad things happen to good people. And uh, we wonder why. Well, if, if God is good, then why does this happen? Or why does that happen? Why am I suffering? Um, our desires don't get fulfilled. Or we have some difficulty. We lose our job. We lose a loved one. There's so many challenges that we face in life in the material world. And if we don't have deep spiritual knowledge, we'll be bewildered by these things. And it will affect our ability to flourish and grow. Our creeper won't thrive because it will be caught off balance. And, and so it's very, very important to saturate ourselves with this knowledge on a regular basis so that we can become very strong and uh, fixed with firm faith in our devotion, and then our creeper thrives and grows. So the next point, uh, or the next aspect, I guess, is uh, water. Of course, you have a seed and you have some soil. And I probably should have put water after seed because water is really more important than soil. You can grow seeds in water, the hydroponic farming. I used to work at National Geographic and they had some young explorers come in and they built a whole mechanism with all these different plants that had no soil at all. It was just water with a certain combination of nutrients. So they had the potassium and nitrogen and, and phosphorus and, and different um, calcium, all these different nutrients. And they had these huge plants, tomatoes, kale, spinach, lettuce, so many things without any soil. Uh, the soil is really providing the nutrients. And so... So you can do that without soil, but you can't do that without water. You can't live very long without water. Everybody knows this. It's a pretty basic fact. So what does water mean in our, in our creeper? Well, we have to have the holy name. We have to chant on a regular basis. We have to become immersed in our japa. Shravana Kirtan, we have to hear, we have to chant. We have to chant, we have to hear. A nice thing about japa is we get both at the same time. We're hearing and we're chanting. And we can listen to kirtan, and that's good, but when we listen to kirtan, we should also chant along with the kirtan. This is the water. Without the water, our creeper will will dry up, and, and it will not thrive, it will not grow, and, and it may not even stay alive. We, we have to immerse it in the nectar of the holy name. So then we also need to feed it. The plant needs nutrients. 
and interesting when you feed a plant the actual what you're actually feeding is the roots and if the roots are nourished then the leaves grow and the stem grows the plant becomes big and this is true for any kind of plant a tree or little plants or seedlings or vegetables uh, the leaves produce they photosynthesize so they take a sunlight and they turn it into energy they turn it into sugar they send that down to the roots and then the roots get that nourishment and then they through some process that i don't understand and can't explain they're able to pull nutrients from the ground and mix it in with the sugar and then they send that back up to the to the plant and the plant grows and expands and trees get bigger and plants get bigger and fruits come and vegetables come uh, and so so nutrition is very important of course we all understand that we have to eat every day so what does nutrition mean for a creeper it means we have to associate with devotees we have to have uh, a sangha we have to have uh, vaishnava interactions Otherwise, if we just try to do it on ourselves, we won't become strong. It will be a very weak little plant. There's a, a fascinating dynamic that occurs with trees. A very, if you go to a forest, a very old established forest, uh, the roots of the trees actually communicate with each other, and uh, they expand. Sometimes directly, they're intertwined. Sometimes they expand themselves through. Uh, funguses and other living entities, organisms in, under the soil. And when one tree is sick, other trees will send nutrients to that sick plant. Or if one tree is attacked by some pests or beetles, it will warn the other plant, the other trees, through its uh, communication system. Sometimes through scents and, and chemicals, out through the bark of the leaves, off, more often through the roots. They communicate with each other. With each other. And if an older plant realizes it's old and it's going to die, it'll take all of its inward juices and life force and it'll pass it on to young plants through the roots and nourish them because it knows it's going to die anyway, but the young saplings need, uh, need nutrition. So there's this fascinating interplay all through the roots. As this, this, you could call it a sangha through these plants associated with each other. So if this is true in nature, even more so in our spiritual lives. We have to have interaction with devotees. Bhakti actually means, I'm not a Sanskrit scholar, but and so I can't explain this properly, but bhakti means to share. You cannot exercise bhakti or practice bhakti alone. You have to share. You share your emotions with Krishna. You share your realizations and questions with other devotees. So the sangha is very important to feed us. You can get it, of course, at the temple. You can make your temple a home, and you should do that. Your temple should be a home. Also, you can get a big boost. You can go to India to go to holy places, go to retreats. More and more these days, of course, now everybody's a little bit homebound because of the world situation. Um, but these retreats are very powerful, and they'll come back around again. They can, they can give you lots of nutrition. So we need sangha. We need association for our creeper. And then uh, the thing that we don't need and we don't want, and it's difficult to deal with, but we have to be aware of them and know how to deal with them are weeds. Because as we have nice, healthy soil and we have nice uh, fertilizer and food we put in there, the weeds will come. And if we don't deal with them rapidly, they become a big, big problem. 
And you'll find uh, as a gardener, if you ever take on any gardening, that's almost becomes your main occupation is just pulling out the weeds, getting them away so the plants can throw. If you don't do that, they'll take over. And I find it interesting. I'm sure there's a lesson here I haven't learned yet. But for some odd reason, weeds grow faster and more prolific than the plants you want. So for every carrot or beet or, or kale you grow, you'll have a dozen weeds and they seem to just grow much, much faster and become much bigger, and they'll take over the whole garden. Whereas the plants you want seem to take their time. So you have to be aware of that, and you have to put some effort into removing them. If you don't, your plants will be starved in nutrients, and you'll have a garden full of inedible, uh, unpleasant-looking living entities. So uh, what does this mean for our creeper? Well, before we before we go there, I'll just finish in the gardening. Um, they're very easy to remove when they're young. You can pull them out, especially after rain or where they're moist. But if you wait too long, we've had this experience where uh, Padma and I have gone out in the garden and there's some weeds that were entrenched and it can take a long, long time to get them out because they get very big and very healthy. So you have to deal with them uh, very quickly when they're young, when they're small and get the roots. And we'll see why this is a problem in the next couple slides there. So what are these weeds? Uh, there, unfortunately, there's many different weeds we have to deal with. These are anartas. These are offenses and anartas and unwanted desires. Anarta means something unwanted. Uh, and um, unfortunately, there's no uh, limit to these things. There's, if left unattended, so many desires will creep up. And sometimes we may not feel like we have desires, but then when the condition becomes right, uh, and whether we come into some money, uh, there's, a, there's a known phenomenon. I think there's a whole website about the curse of the lottery, that people are very happy, living perfectly happy lives, uh, at least to whatever degree they understand happiness, and they win the lottery, and three or four years later, their life is destroyed. Uh, because... All these, when they have some wealth, all these unwanted desires become manifest. They realize, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this, and they just get entangled. So we have to be on the lookout for these things. Uh, in the beginning, they can be a little bit easy to spot, but as we make some advancement, they get um, sometimes very subtle and sometimes um, not so easy to see. We may, they may be disguised, for example, uh, oh, I, want, I need to make some money so I can uh, build a nice temple for Krishna. It looks like a perfectly uh, um, legitimate desire, but then often we get some money and we forget about the temple and we, we go do something else. So we have to be on the lookout for these things. Prestige, I want to be a big devotee, I want to be a leader, I want to be free of my entanglements. Why do we want liberation? Is that for our own gratification or is it to please the Supreme Lord? Is it, is it to please Krishna? So we have to be on the lookout for all these things. Also bad behavior, another form of anartas, um, how we deal with others. And this is basically the, some of the same points as in the previous slide. That are we doing this to get adoration? And I think I'm just trying to be a good devotee, but actually, why do I want to be a good devotee? Because I want people to think I'm good, because I want to get some respect. So certainly, we want to be good devotees. We want to please Krishna. 
but we don't want to uh, do it for the wrong reasons. We want to do it to make him happy, not to increase our prestige. Or, or we don't want to act diplomatically. We say one thing and we mean something else, and we're not being honest, etc. So on the gross level, we can see these and, and easily say, oh, no, these are bad things. I don't want to do this. So these are a little bit easier to, to recognize and deal with. But again, sometimes it can become more subtle. And many times I'll go out and we'll see plants and they look just like a flower. They look just like a plant. I'm like, well, I think I don't want to pull this out because I think I planted some seeds here. And, and then it turns out that they're, they're not what I planted at all. They're something else. So we have to just be on the lookout for these things. And then we have what's described the mad elephant disease, which is discussed. And uh, that's the Vaishnava Parad devotees. But different offenses, there's different types. That's the worst offense, of course, Vaishnava Aparad. There's other offenses, the holy name, the holy plan, the Seva Aparad, Dham Aparad. I find it interesting whenever I talk about offenses or think about offenses to break down this word Aparad. And again, I'm not a Sanskrit scholar, so I'll probably get this wrong on some level. But in a very basic sense, Aparad is two words. It's, it's Radha, which we know, Radharani, and Apa, or against. Apa means like not or um, against. It's, it's the opposite of what you want. So Aparad ultimately, in a spiritual sense, means against Radharani. Or to put it another way, when Radharani's entire existence is focused on giving pleasure to Krishna, so as devotees, our service, our devotional mentality should be, we want to help Radharani in her service to Krishna. Let me serve her so she can serve Krishna. And so if we're not doing that, if we're not helping Radharani, or even worse, if we're doing things that go against what she's trying to do, that's an aparad, that's an offense. That's the core meaning of the word aparad, against Radharani. We're not helping her. And, and maybe we're even hurting her because we're, she's uh, very, uh, all the devotees are very dear to her. Uh, all living entities to her, from her perspective, are devotees. There's no non-devotees. Every living entity is a child of the Supreme Lord. So if we don't have that mentality and we're not helping her, then we're committing some offense somewhere. These are very, very dangerous. These are the first offenses we have to root out and, and deal with. The other ones become much easier if we deal with these. And conversely, if we deal with the others, material attachment and wealth and power and prestige, all those, and we don't deal with these, our creeper will be destroyed. And if the creeper is broken and the leaves can't grow, they can't photosynthesize, they can't uh, uh, make more energy, the creeper doesn't uh, grow and, and obtain its destination at the lotus feet of Krishna. So this is very, very important that we focus on, on these operas. And while it might sound a little bit, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't want to be on a negative tone, but when you, uh, when you hear a very advanced devotee speak about this topic, they'll sometimes say that we should, we should just act, we should think within our mind that I'm, I'm sure I'm committing some offense. Let me find out what it is. Because if we go through life thinking, okay, I understand it and I'm not committing offenses, so now I'm good, that's very dangerous. A much safer habit to keep our creeper very healthy is just assume that you're committing some offense 
and therefore we have to be diligent to understand what is it. I must be I must be doing something. Let me find that something and stop doing it. And that will keep us protected. It's described in this section of Charitamrita. We should put up a, a fence. I think it's in text um, 157. It says in, in relation to these uh, these uparads, the gardener must defend the creeper by fencing it all around so that the power elephant event of offenses may not enter. Right, so we have to put that fence up to keep that elephant out. How do we do that? We just we develop a mentality to think, okay, uh, if I'm not careful, I'll commit some offense, so let me be very careful and let me be attentive to that. Um, if it sounds like I'm spending a lot of time on these weeds and offenses and anartas, it's because in a garden they take over more than anything else. And if you don't deal with them, you won't get your, your nice flowers or your, or your vegetables to to grow and bloom and ripen. And the same in our spiritual life. If we don't deal with our fences, we won't make advancement. It's just uh, pretty simple. And then sunshine. We have a garden has to have sunshine. An interesting thing about sunshine is you can't uh, guarantee whether the sun comes up or not. You, you can't uh, really guarantee how many days the sun shines and how many days it rains, but you can control where you plant your plants. If you plant them in the shade then, and they don't produce fruit, well, then maybe you should plant them in the sun. And you can grow plants under lights and things like that. But generally, uh, if you're growing fruits or vegetables or flowers, uh, you need to plant them where they get the sun all day long. So sunshine is very, very important. So how does this affect our creeper? Well, this is the environment, right? We can't, uh, we can't control whether... Um, or not Krishna gives us his mercy, but we can put ourselves in places where Krishna is known to be merciful, where his energies are easily felt, uh, such as a temple or a holy place, a, a dom. We, go, we, we can put ourselves in, in those activities and those situations that are automatically exposed to spiritual energy. Um, and so that's the point. That in this case, we can't control the sun. We can't control Krishna. We can't uh, control whether the mercy flows or not. But we know there are certain places where it is very easy to access. So we can put ourselves in those places. Sunshine is crucial uh, for growing uh, anything. So we put all these together, and this is this is our cultivation, right? We we do all these things, and then our creeper grows very happy and, and and very very healthy, and that's what we want. So what happens then? What's the result of this uh, this creeper? Now that we've done all the things we need to do, uh, we we can understand or, or take a, a look at what what the result is. So when is one waters the bhakti lata beach, the seed sprouts, and the creeper gradually grows to the point where it penetrates the walls of this universe and goes beyond the Raj River. Lying between the spiritual world and the material world, it attains Brahmaloka, the Brahman effulgence. Penetrating through that stratum, it reaches the spiritual sky and the spiritual planet Galoka Vrindavan. So that's what we want our creeper to do. We want our creeper to... Uh, to take us out of this material world.
Being situated in one's heart and being watered by Shravana Kirtan, the Bhakti creeper grows more and more. In this way, it attains to the shelter of the desire tree of the lotus feet of Krishna, who is eternally situated in the planet known as Goloka Vrindavan, in the topmost region of the spiritual sky. And this gets to the essence now. This is the now the fruit. The, the creeper is, is mature and it's starting to produce some fruit, right? So the creeper greatly expands in the Goloka Vrindavan planet, and there it produces the fruit of love for Krishna. While the remaining in the material world, the gardener regularly sprinkles the creeper with the water of hearing and chanting. So this process, we just continue it, right? We water, we make sure it's fed, we pull out the weeds, we keep the soil healthy. Uh, it, it's um, it's fascinating that for a gardener, what they many of you may have heard this term if you do any gardening, they, they call it black gold. Black gold is compost, which adds not only nutrients, but also organic matter. It makes the soil very, very healthy. If you have worms in your soil, it's very healthy. When you put compost in the soil, then the, the worms come and, and your roots are very happy. What makes compost is the, the refuse from your kitchen. Right? The, the parts of the vegetables you can't cook or eat, you throw out uh, dried dead leaves, uh, cut grass, all these different things that have no value, really. They're to be thrown away. You pile them all in your compost bin, and then they turn into black gold. Very, very, very valuable. So you just continue this process. And uh, and then uh, nature takes its course, and it happens naturally. We can't um, make our creeper grow, just like we can't make a plant grow. We have no ability to grow that plant. All we can do is provide an environment. Uh, again, as we discussed, the seed contains the intelligence of how to grow, and the plant uh, does the actual growth. Just Lord Brahma describes that he's given credit for the creator of the universe. But if you read in the Srimad Bhagavatam, when Narada Muni asks him how he does his creation, or Lord Brahma says quite clearly, he said, I, I'm simply a gardener. Uh, the actual growth, the actual creation of the universe, that comes from Krishna. The intelligence to create, Krishna gives Lord Brahma some ability to do it. But, but ultimately, um, these things happen, whether it's creating a universe or growing a plant or growing a creeper. The actual growth, we have no control over. It grows of its own accord. That's up to Krishna. But what we can control is we can provide the environment. We can provide sunshine and water and uh, you know good association we we create a nice environment for our creeper it will flourish automatically we just follow the process if we're not making spiritual advancement and we don't feel uh, that that love developing then we need to look at this process and see well what part am i am i doing wrong am i pulling out the weeds am i giving myself association am i Chanting, you know, is inattentively and often as frequently as possible because if we follow the process, the growth will happen. It's guaranteed. It's a science. That's what Prabhupada called it, the science of devotion to service. And so there's a nice description of this, this creeper. This is a, um, I think it was called Maduria Kadambanini, I'm forgetting the name. Kadambanini, 
It's a nice book by Vishwanatha Chakravarti Thakur, and he describes the stages of this plant. I'm not going to go into all the details. That's sort of a whole other topic. But just briefly, as this creeper grows, the shrata is there, sarasanga is there, and these are different stages as we progress in our spiritual life, as the creeper makes its way to the spiritual world, we we go through these, bhajana kriya, nartana vritti, right? we get rid of all those anartas, we talked a little bit about that, nishta, we become very firm, solid, and, and we become uh, not uh, bewildered by material energies. And then ruchi, we get some taste, we, we start our devotional life, we do things because we know we should, they're good for us, Eventually, we get to we do them because we like to do them because they give us pleasure, and ultimately, we develop very deep spiritual emotions for Krishna. And this is the fruit. This is the uh, you can see here the flowers fruiting, whether it's a fruit or a flower. The the um, the creeper has reached its destination, and now it's bearing fruit. So this is a beautiful. Uh, painting that devotees did, uh, someone did, I'm not sure who painted this, but it gives kind of an overview of this uh, bhaktilata. And this isn't the beach anymore, this is not the seed, this is the fully manifest mature plant. Right? This is our goal, is to, to develop this plant. And then what's the outcome of that? Uh, this is the, the end of that section of Chaitanya Charitamrita, which this is all based. The devotee serves the lotus seed of the Lord, which are compared to a wish-fulfilling tree. With great bliss, he tastes the juice of the fruit of love and becomes eternally happy. So, um, I don't know if I talked fast. I thought this would take a little bit longer, but that's the end of the presentation. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen, and I'm going to see if anyone has any uh, questions or comments um, about anything I've said. This is, I guess, I, what I, my hope in this is to um, inspire you to want to grow these creepers, whether you have a garden in your backyard, literally, or whether it's just a garden in your heart. Um, it is very gratifying, I have to say. And even if you just have a small porch or a patio, you can grow things. You can grow herbs in your kitchen. You can you can grow vegetables on your porch. You don't need a whole lot of space. Um, like I, like the garden I showed you. And it's very gratifying to grow something to offer to Krishna. And so this is, we want to offer Krishna the best things. So if we can grow things, that's very nice. But I just, for me, it's very mystical that this process of, of growing things, you take this little seed and it manifests in some fruit. It, um, it does cause me to think about this devotional process, how, how we need to be attentive to these anarthas and desires and all these different dynamics I discussed. So anyway, I'll stop there. And if anyone has any questions or comments, I think you can unmute yourself and ask away, or you could send it in the chat. If, um, Hi, Valdem Prastapu. I just loved, I loved your class. I loved your slides, of course, and particularly that last painting of the uh, Bhaktilata Beach. Wow. Uh, that's beautiful. Where did you find that? Um, I don't know. It, it, Kim Padma found it, actually. Um, it was, yeah. Padma found it somewhere, and, and it's just yeah. 
Um, two things struck me. One was um, you started at the beginning saying how seeds do their own thing. And it was, it was such a powerful reminder that, yeah, um, the seeds, you know, love of Krishna is within us. Um, it, and, and it will grow if we provide the right environment. And the other thing, um, I loved all of your, you know, listing of the roots and everything, but uh, the idea of sunshine or the idea of location. And um, I read one place once uh, this same analogy about if you put an unripe fruit in the sun, mm. you know, in the sunshine, um, then it will ripen. So uh, this um, adaptability or flexibility that we might need to really um, take a look at, and you mentioned it briefly at the end, that if we're not, you know, feeling it, so we're not feeling that rasa, that sweet taste of Krishna Bhakti, even at the beginning stages, that we should really take a look at maybe some of the things in our uh, environment and in our everyday life to address that. Could, could you speak a little bit more, particularly I was thinking about this idea of, um, you know, planting ourselves in the sunshine. Um, yeah, well, I can give one um, little example. And, and again, I toggle. I'll try to keep it focused on the spiritual aspect, which is sort of the point. But but we had last week, we a frost came. And uh, the temperature for like two nights, we thought spring was here. And there were one or two nights, the temperature dropped down to like 32 or 33. And we had just the day before transplanted a bunch of miracles. I built a cold frame and made seedlings and protected them. And, and then we thought we were safe. We planted them. The frost came and all the poor little seedlings just wilted and became very unhappy. And they looked like they were going to die. And then um, the last few days, I guess last week, the sun came out. It was very warm. And now all those plants that we were pretty convinced were dead, they're showing new lines of light, new signs of life. They have fresh new green leaves and new growth, and it looks like they're going to make it. And so it just, uh, it sort of underscores or helped me remember that as we place ourselves, and I remember very distinctly, this is a little bit of a, maybe a humbling or embarrassing story to tell. But when I was, before I was initiated, I was a brand new devotee, just started, I'd read the books and chanted a little bit and just started coming to the temple. And I lived about an hour away from the temple and I was involved in all manner of nonsense and not eating properly and, and just um, wasn't doing very good. And the modes were really um, beating me up, you could say. And somewhere within Krishna's super soul or something, I just, I got this realization, said, you have to go to the temple. You've got to get to the temple. You're going to die. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to, who knows what's going to happen to you. And, and um, I hadn't been eating much at all. And it was just, um, it was a very bad state. And so I dragged myself down to the temple, uh, made it there for Mangalarti and, um, I couldn't really understand. Um, I didn't know anything about the temple schedule in terms of festivals and things, but I found it odd in, in, a, in a very nurturing way that the devotees were just chanting for hours. And I thought, well, usually they have a program and a class and breakfast, and they don't do any of that. They're just chanting for two, three, four hours until like 10 o'clock in the morning and they went on Harinam. And, and then I found out it was Lord Chaitanya's birthday. It was, it was Gaur Purnim that day. 
And, and then by the end of the day, I just floated home and all that darkness and, and difficulty I was in dissolved. And I was really happy. And I realized, you know, there's nothing wrong with the world. There's nothing wrong with your life. There's just, you're not getting the spiritual sunshine that you need. And that's why you're not doing so good. And so it was a very powerful lesson to me. I didn't do any great act of piety. I didn't render any significant service. All I did was just put myself physically in the temple. And then the kirtan took over, Krishna took over, the devotees took over. So I guess that would be my, those two things, that the, between the little poor little marigolds and the sunshine and the modes when they wear us down and we get depressed or discouraged or angry or whatever negative things we feel, if we just put ourselves in the association of Krishna's holy name, however we do that, whether it's through listening to lecture, going to the temple, being with his devotees, that sunshine is so powerful that just within, you know, within moments, uh, all that coldness melts away and we get nourishment and, and we thrive. And so, um, that would be my answer. I'm not sure if that's what you were looking for, but um, those two experiences have taught me that we really need to to put ourselves in those places where that sun is shining. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And what I, I got from that was the resilient of plants and therefore ideally our soul resilience, right? The resilience yeah. of, of, yeah. of humans. And, and also just really... It takes such a burden off our shoulder if, if all we have to do is show up and actually get in that sunshine and just be open to being nourished mm-hmm. by it. And then the yeah, rest Everything else is extra. Yeah, if we just yeah. show up, if we just be there. Yeah. And yeah. then the process will take over. Yeah. And it's a very scientific process. Wonderful. Thank mm-hmm. you. Is anyone else? It looks like there's a few others. I don't know if anyone else has any questions or comments. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Um, I feel really badly. I joined a little bit later and I missed part of your presentation, but it was really brilliant. Um, So I'm audaciously just going to ask if you would kindly share uh, (laughs) so I could go back and look at the first few slides. Um, And the other um, question that I had was, um, so when this creeper matures, um, and albeit it's a slow process, uh, when it matures and bears fruit, um, it doesn't wither at that point. I mean, it's a fully mature, ripened tree. Uh, but then in one of the quotes that you read from the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it said that you, they, that you continually uh, water it, uh, even when it's fructified, with hearing and chanting. Um, I think it was one of your slides. Um, yeah, as one waters, I'm just looking through these these verses. Um, so it's, at this point, they're watering up until it penetrates, and then it's being watered more and more, and now it's obtained Krishna's lotus feet, and then it expands and produces the, the fruit of love for Krishna. Although remaining in the material world, the gardener regular sprinkles the creeper with the water of hearing and chanting. I guess that's what you're referring to. Hmm. Would you uh, speak a little bit more about that? I mean, hearing and chanting and watering the plant. Because, um, I mean, as I, I don't garden very much, but I have some tulsi plants. And one of the things you struggle with with tulsi plants is always watering. 
and no, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. just just analogous I was just thinking of something analogous but yeah if you yeah, could it's, it's tricky and different plants require different amounts of, of water but uh, my understanding of reading these verses to to your question that even after the the fruit the plant fructifies and there's whether it's you know fruit flower there's a beautiful verse at the end of this section, the next verse in Chaitanya Charitamrita. Let's see if I printed it. This isn't directly related to the Bhakti Lata Bija, but, but listen to this. This is quite fascinating. And I mentioned this in context of this creeper could produce fruit. It could also produce flowers. It could produce herbs. So, so listen to this verse. Um, I can find it. Um, as long as they're in... So, so at the end of the section is 164, and, and it's talking about tasting the fruit of devotional service. And then the next verse, 55, it jumps from fruit to an herb. Listen to this. As long as there is not the slightest fragrance of pure love of Krishna, which is the perfect medicinal herb for controlling Lord Krishna within the heart, the opulence is a material perfection known as the Siddhis, Brahminical perfection, Satchisama, Tatiksha, and so on. The trance of the yogis, the monistic bliss of Brahman will all seem wonderful for me. So basically, if you don't obtain this, this love, then you'll be enamored by these other things, which are not so valuable is the point. But this poetic wording that, that fragrance of pure love of Krishna is like a medicinal herb that controls Krishna within the heart. And so uh, this is uh, not that devotees want to control Krishna, but Krishna becomes controlled by the love of his devotees. Krishna thrives off of, he, he, he yearns for it and he thrives off the love of his devotees. And so when these verses talk about continually watering the creeper, even after it's reached Krishna's lotus feet and produced some fruit, it's because devotees aren't satisfied just to taste that fruit one time. Devotees aren't satisfied. Um, devotees are never satisfied in one sense. It's sort of a, a bit of a conundrum or paradox that there's the deepest satisfaction you can obtain is to reach this state of pure love for Krishna where he becomes controlled by your love but devotees are never satisfied with that because they always want more. They want, okay, this is very nice, but I want to love Krishna more than I loved him yesterday because it's so relishable. So if they stop watering the creeper, it'll produce a fruit, then it won't produce another fruit. But we want the fruits to continue. And so um, we continue watering. Now, when we say continue watering, again, back to the analogy of the garden, you don't need to water every day. Sometimes you need to wait a few days and let the plant absorb the water and let the soil drive out. We stop putting water on it, but the soil still has moisture inside it. So continually watering, in the case of Tulsi or, you know, um, uh, even our creeper to some extent. Now, one, it's risky to say we sh- there's a time where we should not chant. But in the beginning, we need a balance. We need to engage in some service. We need to chant. We need to association with devotees. We need to take prasad. If we try to do one thing too much, we'll, we'll get burnt out. We won't be able to sustain it. As we become more mature, then we can take more of these activities, and we can eventually do them constantly without interruption uh, when we're very, very, very healthy. But that that continually watering process is, um, to, to use the analogy you mentioned with Tulsi, that, that 
we water what the what the creeper needs. And um, for example, uh, if you're initiated, we have a vow for a fixed number of rounds, so that's kind of a given. Uh, sometimes devotees will chant more than that. We might chant 64 rounds. But, but then some days they say, well, I need to just go and associate with the temples. I need to read some lectures. So if we just chant and don't listen to lectures, or if we just listen to lectures and don't chant, if we just take one of these processes to an extreme, then there can become an imbalance in the nutrition of the soul, and we don't become healthy. We can become um, kind of off-kilter. Now, as we make more and more advancement, of course, it's recommended that chanting never goes away. If anything, it just increases. And then Krishna within the heart reveals the knowledge we need. And, and uh, do pure devotees, if they can't find association, they make association, right? Srila Prabhupada came to the West, and he created devotees. And then he had association. So this is the stage of a very, very exalted soul that um, younger early you know neophyte beginning devotees look for good association as we become more advanced then we can create association by spreading the holy name like that i think i've gone a little bit off topic but i hope that answered your question or did i understand your question and to your first question yeah this is being recorded i continue the recording i continue the presentation thank you Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare well. I love this talk today. Um, helps me appreciate even more the importance of taking care of the uh, devotional creeper uh, by hearing and chanting and, you know, um, avoiding the tendency to com uh, commit uprads. So um, um, I wanted to ask you, um, in this process of... Uh, this uh, lifestyle of, um, you know, trying to avoid things that are unfavorable for our devotional creeper and doing the favorable things for giving uh, the f uh, environment like sunshine, water, and other things you mentioned. Somewhere, uh, you know, our enthusiasm also needs to be taken care of and what can we do about it or you know, uh, finding the right association, sometimes it's there more often. We, like you we can create the association also. But it seems uh, a lot of these uh, factors are also about around enthusiasm. At times, you know, there may be a trend, highs and lows. How, how can we take care of that? Well, it's a really good question. Enthusiasm is very important. And again, because it, it, because I guess I chose the topic of the garden, I'm going to stick to my garden analogies. Um, but certainly enthusiasm for the creeper, it, it, the same applies. It takes some work. So while on the one hand we can say we just put ourselves in the sunshine and everything will happen, it might take some work to do that. It might take some effort. Let's say, for example, I'm going to put myself in the sunshine and I've identified that sunshine means you know, going to a retreat. Well, maybe I have to get on a plane or rent a car or drive for some hours or even going to the temple. You know, maybe I live some distance away and it's difficult. Um, in the garden, for example, in terms of enthusiasm, it, it, there's a lot of work involved and you have to build your, your, your garden. You have to put up a fence to keep the deer out. You have to 
exert a lot of physical energy and it can be quite exhausting. And some days it's like, I don't feel like doing this. This is just too much work. But then when you see the plants growing and you need to make a substitute so you can offer to Krishna and you go out and you get a handful of kale that would have cost $5 at the store and you have cilantro growing when you need it, then you start to realize, wow, I can offer Krishna nice things that I grew. And then you get enthused and then you say, oh, that work is worth it. It's okay if it takes some energy and makes me tired because, because you become enlivened by the results. So in the same way, to maintain our enthusiasm, the best way to maintain it is to associate with enthusiastic people. Because the one thing about devotional service, about bhakti, devotional service, bhakti, and enthusiasm itself, is they're contagious. They're even more contagious than this virus. When you associate with enthusiastic people, you become enthusiastic. It's just automatic. A, a famous devotee who exemplified this is Jayananda Prabhu, the original Jayananda who built the Rathiatra carts and uh, he did so many things. I think he was one of the first book distributors. He started Harinam. Uh, Anyway, he was so enthusiastic, he would, he would get drunks and, and homeless people and people who had no uh, theistic, they weren't coming to the temple to do pious activity. He would engage them in service because he was so enthusiastic, they, he would make them enthusiastic. And so that's just one example. But when you associate with enthusiastic people, very, very quickly that, can, that uh, enthusiasm rubs off. So that's one, uh, one point. And then the other point is it does take some work. Srila Prabhupada would say, you know, once the devotee asked him, he said, well, I don't feel like offering obeisances and bowing down when I go in the temple. And Prabhupada said, it doesn't matter if you feel like or not, just do it. If you do it enough, eventually you will feel like doing it. And so enthusiasm, and this is actually, there's some, there's some interesting science behind this. There's a, a book called Blink, written by Malcolm Gal, Gal, Galdwell, Gladwell. Sorry, Malcolm Gladwell. And um, the, the book is basically about all these micro-expressions of the face that he studied. Um, he studied people in all these videos and saw that you can't lie. You can lie with your voice, but your eyes will give it away and your facial expression will give it away. If you're trained to look, you can tell, regardless of what someone's saying, they don't mean what they say or, or whatever, that there's um, something else is going on that they're not being honest about. And the reason this works is because the nervous system, there's so many hundreds of muscles in the face, the nervous system is hardwired so that um, even if your voice, if your words are saying one thing, your nervous system will convey through the muscles what's actually going on, and whether it's in case of telling a lie or not. And so what he found was you can make yourself depressed by walking around with a frown all the time, you can also make yourself happy that if you just smile and pretend like you're happy because the nervous system is hardwired to the muscles, by mm -hmm. forcing the muscles to smile and be happy, it will tell the nervous system you're happy and you'll become happy. And he proved this with so much different uh, scientific research that he did for his, his PhD and the books he wrote. Uh, so, so the point is that uh, when Prabhupada says just, uh, as they say, fake it till you make it, you know, if you just act enthusiastic, even if you don't feel it, you will become enthusiastic. Uh, so, but the easy, that, that can take some work, it can take some effort, 
but then that effort pays off and we, the momentum changes. But the easiest way is to associate with enthusiastic people, whether physically or by luck listening to lectures or reading books, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, that will help develop that enthusiasm. And then it's contagious. And then they become, you become enthusiastic, then others see that, then they become enthusiastic, then you get more enthusiastic and it becomes a, an upward spiral, so to speak. But, but it does, it, sometimes it does take some work. We have to be dedicated. We have to be determined. When we're very determined, enthusiasm gets easier. So, so I guess I would summarize it by saying we have to be very determined to be enthusiastic. We have to be convinced that if we follow this process, we will obtain the goal, and we have to be determined to enthusiastically follow the process. And if we do that, then we will become, these things will manifest. We'll become enthusiastic. The creeper will grow. When we see the creeper grows, we get enthused. When we start tasting the fruit, we become enthused. But it, it can take some work, especially in the beginning. It can take some effort to train ourselves and train our mind to, uh, to allow the process to work. Okay. Thank you. Hope that helps. Yes, very much. Thank you. Okay, so I think I'm about out of time. If anyone has any final questions or thoughts, um, now would be a good time. Otherwise, I think we're going to end here. It's 2 o'clock. Um, thank you all very much. Um, well,